think I was asked to speak on the subject because I have mastered the topic. I have something to show you. Uh, this is my collection of books, trust me. <laughs> and there's one more. It's either in the house or I loaned it out. Because I've been through four. Okay. Uh, 1991, I started. And I've been reading this book ever since. So I was thrilled to hear that that's what our theme is going to be. I've been living in this book for 30 years. And I'm still living in it. So, I can't wait to get oh. we like that. I can't wait to get to heaven and meet Jerry Bridges. <laughs> so I'm the poster child for uh, struggling to trust God. Okay, um, but we'll give it a try here in describing what the scriptures say about the sovereignty of God. In First Peter, Kelly reminded us uh, in this portion of scripture that women are encouraged to put their hope in God. Respectful submission, pure conduct, and a gentle and quiet spirit are inner character qualities that God wants to develop in us. Hoping in God or trusting in God is our means to becoming like the holy women of old. To be honest, when I hear the words gentle and quiet spirit, my natural knee-jerk reaction is a bit tempting. <laughs> These are not natural traits of mine. Uh, I was born with a nature that is anything but submissive, gentle, or quiet. And I want to do things my way. But it's clear as a bell in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, that God desires women to be quite different than their natural temperament. He desires that they be like him. And in this portion of scripture, specifically, submissive, gentle, and quiet are the qualities that he has highlighted. Well, how does that happen? Growth in trusting God will produce in us a submissive, gentle, and quiet spirit. And we grow in our trust of God by growing in our understanding, appreciation, and application of who he is as we see him in the Bible, his revelation of himself. We have not been left to try and figure him out on our own. There is a way for us to live lives that are pleasing to him, and he has shown us how in his word. And he has shown us how to acquire or experience a life of purpose, joy, and satisfaction. It's my purpose in these next few minutes to explore the scriptures that talk about his sovereignty. I think sovereignty is the most foundational, bedrock attribute we could ever come to understand in order to grow in our trust of God. We could put the word sovereign in front of every other attribute and we would be more accurate in our description of him. He is sovereign love. Sovereign power, sovereign wisdom, sovereign mercy, and sovereign grace. Oops. So, let's explore this word sovereign as it pertains to God. What is the sovereignty of God? And how does it relate to my putting my hope in Him? God's sovereignty is something we emphasize here at Summit Woods. So while it's not a new topic to us, our capacity to understand and appreciate and apply it can grow and deepen. And that is my prayer for all of us as we contemplate thinking about God's sovereignty. 
If you're going through a difficult time right now, thinking about God's sovereignty should be an encouragement to you. If it's smooth sailing right now, store these truths up in your heart. Because difficulty of some sort is most likely right around the corner. In the Christian life, we are always dealing with the unknown. So let's get ready for anything. In my attempts to try and communicate what the sovereignty of God is, I first went to a thesaurus. Are there any word nerds in the room besides me? Hey, so nice. Anyway, here are some synonyms for the word sovereign. Supreme authority, an acknowledged leader, absolute, chief, dominant, foremost, greatest, highest, master, and incomparable. Don't you love those words? Looking into the scriptures for the sovereignty of God, I found out it's kind of like trying to point out and explain the Pacific Ocean. You would, so this is my Pacific Ocean, okay? And if you're trying to point it out to somebody, you would say, well, it's here. And then you'd realize, oh, well, it's, it's here, too. And it's way up here. And oh, wow, it's even way down here. Then you could talk a long time about its many currents, variety of depths. In some places, you could wade out for a long time and it wouldn't even be above your knees. And then not too far from there is the Mariana Trench, mm -hmm. which is the deepest place on Earth. Mm -hmm. 36,000 feet deep, approximately. And that's 7,000 feet deeper than Mount Everest is tall. Mm -hmm. And the variety of sea life. Think about that. They are still discovering new forms. Probably inexhaustible. The sovereignty of God is on virtually every page of scripture and many faceted. We could be here all night talking about God's sovereignty. Entire books are written on this topic, perhaps impossible to thoroughly explain. Infinite. I know of one man who studied the topic for four years and never felt like he completed his study. Every event in scripture reveals a facet of God's sovereignty. Every biblical character interacts and is affected by his sovereignty. So we're going to look at some scriptures, nowhere near exhaustive, that give us insight into this Mount Everest or Mariana Trench of God's attributes. After we look at his sovereignty, we'll talk about four of his attributes and then look real quickly at his purposes and plans. And then in our small group time, we're going to discuss our responses to the sovereignty. So, diving into the Word. Now, on your handout, I've listed all the scriptures that I'm going to mention. And there's not a lot of room for note-taking. Um, I would encourage you, rather than try to take a lot of notes on what I'm saying, to just listen this way. Think of a circumstance in your life, or, or just your overall circumstances, or maybe there's a specific concern. I would like you to think about that, and then as I read the scriptures, listen to them with that particular challenge or circumstance in mind, and ask the Holy Spirit to apply, help you apply the truths. I've listed them there so that you can go back and kind of, you know, really digest them and chew on them later. But we're going to let the Word of God speak to us tonight. 
The first scripture that we're going to go to is first, and you don't need to look them up, just, just listen. Um, first Chronicles 29, 11 and 12. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. I feel like we can almost pack up and go home. <laughs> yeah, amen, amen. I was reading this to my husband, and he said, it's kind of like you feel sometimes after a, just a dynamite prayer by one of the elders. Like, oh, that's enough. <laughs> I was loaded, you know, even before the sermon. All is his. Heaven, earth, you and me, it all belongs to him. Not only all of creation is his, but also all the kingly attributes are his. Glory, majesty, greatness, power, victory. These all belong to our king. He owns it all, and he rules it all. A.W. Pink defines the sovereignty of God this way. It's the supreme reign of God in heaven and on earth. The scepter is in his hands, and he is directing all things after the counsel of his own will. God's sovereignty is his rule and reign over all the works of his hands. He is the Most High, the King of Kings. Mm. I wish my mother had understood the sovereignty of God when I was growing up. She would have taught me about it had she known. I grew up an ex extremely anxious little girl. At age six, my father abandoned my mother, me, and four other siblings. Mm -hmm. I was crazy about my dad, and he left me. Just disappeared one day and never came back. I carried the weight of this trauma on my little six-year-old shoulders alone. My anxiety and anger, of course, just festered over the years. If I only could have known what I know now, that this was all in God's hands, that he was directing everything and that we could trust him, and that down the road was a big surprise that would make it all better. I believed in God, but I didn't know he could be so intimately involved with my life. I didn't know he was a ruler, or that he would ever exercise any of that power and might that we just read about on my behalf. Daniel 4.17 says he is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Psalm 33, 10 through 11. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. While the nations rage on, our God is in the heavens, moving kingdoms and nations according to his perfect plan. Now, as individuals, we can go ahead and pray. <clears throat> we can make our plans. 
a good steward of this life makes all kinds of plans. Mm -hmm. Plans for that summer vacation. You know, Yellowstone near the beach. Retirement plans. 62, 65, <coughs> 70. Family size plans. Two, four, or 10. Or if you're from Summit Woods, 15. <laughs> <laughs> Education plans. Homeschool, public, Christian, college, or tech school. Relationship plans. Should I stay single? Or should I pursue marriage? Just, those are all fine, but just remember, our sovereign God will have the last word. And he has every right to it. Hold that plan loosely. Remember Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Mark and I were a middle-aged couple, comfortably working our dream jobs, active in our church, Relatively new marriage, new house, new car, new church. When God inspired us to sell it all, go to the Philippines and help in a children's home. And the amazing thing is we wanted to go. I would love to tell you the story sometime, but Kelly would have to give me at least two other 45 minutes. <laughs> all right, Kelly. But neither of us saw this coming. This was our sovereign God moving many parts, like in a chess game. If you would have asked us a year before, we would have said, oh, it's not really us. How about if we just write you a check? <laughs> <laughs> You'll be hearing other stories this weekend about how God may interrupt or alter our plans. From the women who are sharing personal testimonies, it is always the Lord's plans that prevail. Psalm 33, 14 says, The Lord looks down from heaven from where he sits enthroned. I chose that verse because I love that word, enthroned. He is seated on the throne. He can't get voted off after his term. And of course, his term will never end. He's a picture, it's a picture of absolute, eternal authority and reign. He sits unchallenged on the throne this magnificent throne of power. Psalm 83, 18 says, You alone are the most high over all the earth. Psalm 115, 3, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. This is bringing, bringing another Pacific Ocean-like current into our understanding of God's sovereignty. He does what he pleases. Again, A.W. Pink says, God is in the heavens doing exactly as he pleases, being unrivaled in majesty, unlimited in power, unmatched in loving kindness, and undeterred by anything outside himself. There is no one who comes close to our God. We are the humbled subjects. We must come before him and bow our hearts before him. It is the only appropriate posture before this king. Remember playing King of the Hill? I loved playing that. I loved standing up on the top of that mound. You know, I ruled. Once I got on top of that mound, I knew I could push anybody off. 
<laughs> I pretended to rule once I was on top of that mound. But our God is not pretending. He is ruling as he pleases and not from a mound. Washington, D.C. is a mound. Mm -hmm. Beijing, China is a mound. But our God is in the heavens. In the next three verses, we have Jesus claiming his authority over the men who were soon to crucify him. But really, they had nothing on him. Matthew 28, 18 says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. They had no authority in themselves to do what they were doing. John 13, 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Lord here means sovereign ruler. Perhaps the disciples were starting to get it. I have been slow to trust this Lord too. I mean, four copies, 30 years. You know, he's the Lord. But just like the disciples, it has been a process, and of course, it's ongoing. And it's a slow one. With my first husband, there was 20 years of a difficult marriage. I was treated unkindly, rudely, and with extreme selfishness. There were lots of financial issues, severe hormonal swings. I was put in charge, basically, but never wanted to be. And then there were two children to raise, who had a hard time reconciling their father's behavior with his Christian confession. It was a mess. I was dazed with disillusionment. But slowly, slowly, God got through to me, using the scriptures to teach me that he was indeed the Lord. Gradually, joy replaced despair. Strength replaced frailty. I was enabled by God's grace to demonstrate respect for this difficult man. I learned that he was sovereign over even my difficult marriage, and that made all the difference in the world. John 19, 11 says, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Those pompous men who were corrupted by their power lust were blind fools thinking they could determine the fate of the Lord of the universe. Philippians 2.9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. This name, Lord, corresponds with many Old Testament descriptions of God as sovereign ruler. 1 Timothy 6.15 brings us a little refreshment in a way. It says, He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Speaking of blessed ruler, J.I. Packer has a helpful definition of God's sovereignty, emphasizing the blessedness. The unceasing activity of the Creator, whereby in overflowing bounty and goodwill, He upholds His creatures in ordered existence, guides and governs all events, circumstances, and all free acts of men and angels, and directs everything to its appointed goal, 
for his own glory. His own glory, that's another current in the Pacific Ocean of God's sovereignty. But going back to my childhood, our troubled family got drawn into this unceasing activity, and my mother was gloriously born again at age 42. After going through many trials, including the death of my older sister, who died suddenly, she was, my mother was ready to bow before this sovereign God who had been directing things all along. And the appointed goal for this family did bring glory to God. One by one, each of us kids came to know Jesus Christ in a personal way. Again, by a tailor-made plan for each one of us. In overflowing bounty and goodwill, God poured out an extra measure of blessing on our family for years and years. I'm sure my mother felt she could identify with Job. Overflowing bounty, goodwill, blessed, <clears throat> tell us finally that this God is a loving God with only good intentions for his creatures. Until 1 Timothy 6.15, someone listening to this might think that this powerful God is to be feared and may wonder about his trustworthiness. But even a novice to the scriptures will find our God is a loving God. Packer says his bounty and goodwill are overflowing. Like he can't even contain it all. It just has to pour out on his beloved children. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Psalm 135.6, The Lord does whatever pleases him. Isaiah 46.10b, I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. I think it was John Piper who said the chief end of God is to glorify himself and enjoy himself forever. He's doing what pleases him. At first glance, that might sound like our God is terribly self-focused and self-absorbed and interested in nothing but himself. But when we understand that he is a God of love and that our welfare is inextricably intertwined with what pleases and glorifies him, we know that a selfish God is exactly what he is not. Our welfare and his glory are inseparable. That is another reason why we can trust him. We can see this blending of God doing what he pleases and what is for our welfare in the stories of Esther and Ruth. Although God's name is not mentioned in the book of Esther, and in Ruth is mentioned, but not in the role of one directing the events, both of these books of the Bible are clear demonstrations of his sovereignty. God sovereignly orchestrating the events of the lives of a queen and a commoner. Two women who are accomplishing God's purpose for his glory and their welfare. God was as involved in the events in Esther's life, which had national implications, as he was in Ruth's life which were primarily dealing with just her life and a couple others. Both show God's detailed, sovereign dealings over every minute detail of both of these women's lives. Again, for his glory and their welfare. Romans 15.4 says these things that were written in former days were written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. In other words, 
We are to be encouraged to trust God as we read those stories. What he did for Esther and Ruth, he will do for us. There are days when I feel extremely ordinary. In fact, most days <laughs> I feel extremely ordinary, as I'm sure Ruth did. And I need to know that God is doing exactly what he pleases and what is best for me. So to summarize this portion, I would say all is his. Not only all of creation, but all the kingly attributes are his. He is absolutely unrivaled. He possesses the authority over all of creation. He does whatever pleases him, and his plans prevail. All, and all the ruling and reigning is done for his glory and for my good. Another facet of his sovereignty, another current running through the sovereignty of God, is that no one can interfere with God's plan. Job 42.2 says, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. Proverbs 21.30 says, There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. God has an overarching plan for all of creation, which is to be conformed to his image. But he also has a specific purpose for each of us that is his unique, tailor-made plan for our individual life. And I don't think this was written down in our notes, but Ephesians 2.10 would be the reference for that. We can trust him with every detail. Just think of that. Just think of your situation. Every detail is allowed by God for your good. Even that thing that you would be done with tomorrow if you could. Or yesterday. <laughs> every circumstance of our lives, knowing that God is sovereign over it all, and no person or thing can ever interfere with this plan. It was God's plan in 2016 for us to find Summit Woods. Now, if you had described Summit Woods to me as to what kind of church it was, I would have said, nope, that is, in all my wisdom, you know, <laughs> that is exactly the kind of church I am not looking for. Well, it took one sermon, and that was, that was it. We were hooked. And we've been thanking him ever since. No plan of God's can be thwarted. And no plan of ours will succeed against the Lord. His plan is infinitely better than anything we could ever come up with ourselves. Job 23.14 says, For he will complete what he appoints for me. Another reference to God's sovereignty. Job. Job. It's Job is beginning to resign himself to God's right to reign. God's sovereignty is the great lesson of the book of Job. Trusting when you can't see and don't understand. I think that's the hardest part when you don't understand. Yeah. It was the lesson Job needed to learn, so we can accurately conclude that it's the lesson we need to learn as well. Mm. Later in the book, now we're in Job 42 at the end, he says, I know that you can do all things, 
and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job, at the end of his torturous ordeal, when he finally stopped complaining and challenging God, in repentance and humility, he even more deeply acknowledged the sovereignty of God. Do not be anxious about anything, Philippians 4-6 says. Well, how can it say that? Well, because God's sovereign plan is being worked out. I know of a woman who said that her panic attacks stopped completely when she finally understood the sovereignty of God. She realized there was nothing for her to be anxious about. Now, we might not all come to that sudden dramatic change, but eventually we should get there if we're trusting God. Now, we want to look more closely at this sovereign God. What is it about him that warrants our trust? Is he trustworthy? Can I really know that he will care for me and that his plan is best? We're going to look at four attributes. His omnipresence, his faithfulness, his omniscience, and his compassion. His omnipresence is my favorite attribute. He is always here, everywhere. He is with me. He never looks away, never gets distracted or loses track of me. He will not abandon me. Psalm 1-6 says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. You might wonder what this verse has to do with God's omnipresence. Well, that word know doesn't just mean that he's acquainted with you, but it means he is intimately involved with you. Maybe this is my favorite verse, because my father was, ne- was anything but involved with me. It thrilled me and strengthened me when I learned that the word know means intimately involved. I am not alone in this. At times I have felt so alone in my trials. But to learn that God is always, every waking moment, intimately involved, when there isn't a trace of that that we can see with our physical eyes, this verse has helped me so much when I'm in the middle of something that causes me to feel like surely God has abandoned me, or when life hits me like a two-by-four that I didn't see coming. God is with me and with you, and he's intimately involved. He is constantly working on my behalf. It's not on again, off again, and that should make all the difference in the world. Hebrews 13, 5, of course, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He will not leave us alone, ever, and it's just, it's not just that he draws near when we are in a severe trial and we feel really needy of him. No, God is with us at our disposal, in a sense, every minute of every day. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Then verse 2, therefore we will not fear. He is present. He is involved. God is offering us protection and strength. 
This is the God the holy women in the Old Testament trusted in and obeyed. And what was written about them was written for our encouragement, not just historical data for the sake of history, but examples for us to follow. Psalm 139 says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Well, the answer is obvious. There is no place to get away from God. He is the hound of heaven. The second attribute that helps us trust God is his faithfulness. He is faithful. In 1 Peter 4.19, Peter invites those who are suffering for righteousness' sake to entrust their souls to a faithful creator. The Bible says we can entrust our souls to him. He is trustworthy. That means worthy of our trust. It means you will not entrust to God your trials, your heart, or whatever is most precious to you and be disappointed. It would be totally contrary to his nature to invite you to trust him and then not come through for you with the very best possible plan. Our God is faithful. We can trust him. Oh, familiar verse. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation. And you know, the word there can also be translated trials. It can mean, it can mean trials or difficulties. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation or the trial, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Probably the most famous New Testament verse on the faithfulness of God. This verse explains so clearly that God never gives us too much. But if we allow our emotions, fear, anger, or even have an unwilling heart to accept God's agenda for our lives, <coughs> we will feel or think our circumstances are too much. This is the woman who says, I can't take anymore. But they are not too much. This is why it's crucial to think biblically about our circumstances and about our God. He promises he will give you the endurance you need. You can trust this omnipotent, faithful God. There was a time in my life where God demonstrated his faithfulness to me so clearly, over and over. It was in December 2010 that Mark and I did move to the Philippines, firmly believing that God was leading us. We were all in, thinking we would spend the rest of our lives there. I had no desire to return to the States. That was so unlike me. I never had any desire or interest in traveling abroad. But two and a half years into it, we knew the mission had insurmountable problems and that we didn't have the spiritual maturity to survive. Trying to work with this crippled mission living in a third world country with no other missionaries around for support took its toll on us. Our marriage by now was hanging by a thread. All around me looked black. We had to come home. To have to leave those orphans, <laughs> sorry, to have to leave those orphans, come home and start over. I was 58 years old and I had two suitcases and two boxes of belongings. I clung to the Lord with everything I had. 
I spent hours every morning with the Lord, feeding on his word, devotional books and sermons. In his faithfulness, he slowly put us back together. He provided jobs, vehicles, that Grand Am. Who's driving the Grand Am? It's going to get around, I have a feeling. Eventually, we were able to buy a home, and he restored our marriage. If I had not known that he was in control and that he had a purpose in all of this and that he was intimately involved, I don't know how I would have made it. There really is nothing to fear. He did a much-needed work in my heart through all of that, fulfilling his purposes, for which I can't thank him enough. Every day, and every day during that first year back, God showed me in tangible, very personal ways that he was with me and that I could trust him. I didn't know how it was all going to work out, but I knew, even in the deepest pain, that I could trust him. I was actually afraid not to. It's in the darkest of days that God's omnipresence and faithfulness will shine the brightest. All right, moving on to omniscience. In the Gospels of Luke and John, we find at least four statements describing God's omniscience. Luke 5.22 is part of the verse says, when he perceived their thoughts, okay, only God can read minds, right? John 2, 24 through 25, he knew all people, only God. John 16, 30, now we know you know all things, Lord. And John 21, 17, Lord, you know everything. I think that's a very sweet confession of Peter's, <laughs> after all he'd been through. And then a favorite of many, Psalm 139, 1 through 6. I'll read that to you. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. In other words, we cannot comprehend this omniscience. So much of what these verses is saying is that God is aware of every detail of all the events of our life. And these details are important to him. He sees our situation from every possible angle. He sees things we can't see. How can we possibly know what is best? Actually, we are totally unqualified to know what is best for our lives. God loves us, he's perfectly wise, and he's sovereign. That is a beautiful, strong, three-stranded cord. Can you picture that braid as a helpful word picture in your mind? Wisdom, love, and sovereignty. Because he is all those things, he can be trusted. The song goes like this, in days of peace and days of rest, in times of loss and loneliness, though rich or poor, your word is true, that all my ways are known to you. No trial has come beyond your hand, no step I walk 
beyond your plan. The path is dark outside my view. Still, all my ways are known to you. Our God is omniscient. Okay, the last attribute is compassionate. I think, I had a question mark here, I forgot to double check it. I think it's Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Compassion in the heart of God is revealed in these words. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He understands that the burden of our sin, the sins of our husbands, our children, and really everyone around us wears us down. Life can get heavy. He desires to give us relief. That's his compassion. Matthew 4, 23 and 24, we see Jesus healing the sick and those oppressed by demons. I heard John MacArthur say that it's possible that Jesus may have completely eradicated disease from the nation of Israel. Can you imagine? During his ministry. It was his compassion that motivated that. He wouldn't have had to gone to that length to demonstrate his deity. But his compassion compelled him to bring health and relief to people. There's probably no more compassionate picture of our Lord than David, than David gives us in Psalm 23. Each of us who know the Lord personally can say with confidence, the Lord is my shepherd. A good shepherd is known for his meticulous care of his sheep. There is no other animal that needs this degree of meticulous care. Left alone, sheep will likely drink the poisonous water, eat the poisonous weeds, become infested with insects that can almost drive them insane, and wander off into unforeseen dangers. We need this compassionate, skillful shepherd who understands sheep, their needs, their weaknesses, their many vulnerabilities, and their desperate need to be dependent on their shepherd. You and I are such sheep. The sheep must trust their shepherd. It is a matter of life and death. John 10, 11, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. His compassion drove him to Calvary. Psalm 145, 9, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. In summing up these four attributes, we see from Scripture the sovereign reign of an ever-present, faithful, all-knowing, and compassionate God who has a specific, tailor-made plan for our lives that nothing can thwart for his glory and our blessing. In the quotes that I read from some of the theologians and some of the verses, we find the word purpose or purposes often. So I'm going to spend just a minute on that. Isaiah 14, 27 says, For the Lord Almighty has purposed, and who can thwart him? Psalm 33, 11, But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. We've read that our sovereign God fulfills his purposes. His purposes prevail. Well, what are those purposes? Can we know them? Yes, we can. And understanding them will help us to trust him, especially during trying circumstances. 
God is very clear about his purposes, and we want to look at just two of them that are closely related to his sovereignty. Purpose number one, God's primary purpose is to bring glory to himself. If you've been around Summer Woods even a short time, you've heard those words, the glory of God, often. We had just been to Summit Woods a couple of weeks, and one Sunday afternoon, my husband was talking to his sister, Terry, and they like to go back and forth about everything. And I heard him saying, Terry, it's all for the glory of God. It's all for the glory of God. This was a new concept to us, and we've been Christians a long time. It put everything in a new light. So what is the glory of God? Well, that's kind of like trying to disguise, describe sovereignty or the Pacific Ocean. John Piper says, it's the glory, the glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of his manifold perfections. Another commentator said, it is the greatness of his splendor. It is the essence of his nature. I made up my own definition. <laughs> I said, it's all God's attributes blended together, which create a regal, royal splendor and brightness. Splendor that is brighter and more powerful than a thousand burning suns. God is exercising his sovereignty in order to bring glory to himself. And in the following two verses, we learn how we can bring him glory. That was a puzzle to me when I first started hearing it often at, here at church. This is one of God's purposes for us. First Chronicles 16, 28, and 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe, that's the word, to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering, second concept, and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. In these verses, we see our part. Ascribe or declare, rehearse his attributes, and bring an offering or obey him. Obedience is our offering. Declaring his attributes and his great deeds and obeying his commands are how God brings glory to himself through us. Both of these constitute true worship. We are commanded to do everything to the glory of God. This is obedience. Everything we do and say and even think should reflect him, declare him, reveal him, and magnify him. Our trusting God is an act of obedience, and this will glorify him. Psalm 145, 10 through 12. And I found that psalm, that's like a new friend, that is loaded with beautiful descriptions of God. It just goes on and on and on. There is no, I don't think there's anything in there that about crushing your enemies or hating those who, you know. It's just all this beautiful praise of God. It's my new friend. Anyway, Psalm 145, 10 through 12. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. These verses refer to both God's sovereign rule as well as our part in declaring it. I hope this weekend our fellowship can go below the surface of small talk and we can declare and rehearse what God has been doing in our lives. We about had a revival at lunch today. I mean, it was just wonderful, it was glorious. 
Purpose number two is that we be transformed into his likeness. Uh, Romans 28, 29, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, in order that he might become the firstborn among many brothers. So another purpose of God is that he sovereignly accomplished in, in us is the conformity of our hearts into his likeness. This also is a sovereign work of God in our lives that cannot be thwarted. It means there are not random or purposeless events down to the minutest detail that God is not using to transform us into his likeness. From the rude customer service agent, like the one I had at the bank the other day, to the child with severe chronic health issues and everything in between, everything, we can know what he's doing. He's making us more like himself. He has decided that you and I need the circumstances that we are in right now in order to become more Christ-like, or he would not allow them. This truth is meant to bring us great peace. When I finally quit fighting God and accepted his agenda for my life, great peace and rest are mine, mm -hmm. regardless of my circumstances. And in 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4, it tells us that God is supplying everything we need to become more Christ-like to cooperate with God in the second great purpose of his sovereignty. His divine power has granted us to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. In other words, we lack nothing if we are believers. So that's a brief look at the two purposes of God for which he exercises his authority, his sovereignty. A clear understanding of these purposes will be helpful as we seek to grow in our trust of him. We've talked about his sovereignty, his attributes, and his plans and purposes. The scriptures have guided our thinking. Now as we gather in our groups, Let's encourage each other to think about just how we might respond to the fact that our God is sovereign. Here are just a few suggestions real quick as to how we might respond. Um, trust and faith. If we don't believe the Lord is good and is sovereignly working for our well-being, we will try to take control of our situation. And we will try to turn our life circumstances into our version of good. Another response is to cheerfully accept God's agenda. Are we willing to bring the truths we've talked about to bear on our circumstances? Giving thanks. How can we sincerely thank God in difficult circumstances? Confessing wrong thoughts about God. Difficulties can cloud our thinking about God. What is the strategy for battling negative thinking? Worship. We worship God primarily because he deserves it. How does worship help us trust him? I want to close with reading the quote on the bottom of the page. Yes. The bottom of my notes. 
And I would encourage you to read along because it's, it's a little wordy and there's a couple of phrases in there that are a little old fashioned. So you, you'll get more out of it if you read along with me. And then I'll close in prayer. Again, A.W. Pink, another new friend. But let it be said very emphatically that the heart can only rest upon and enjoy the blessed truth of the absolute sovereignty of God as faith is in exercise. Faith is ever occupied with God. That is the character of it. That is what differentiates it from intellectual theology. Faith endures as seeing him who is invisible, Hebrews 11, 27. Endures the disappointments, the hardships, and the heartaches of life by recognizing that all comes from the hand of him who is too wise to err and too loving to be unkind. But so long as we are occupied with any other object than God himself, there will be neither rest for the heart nor peace for the mind. But when we receive all that enters our lives as from his hand, then no matter what may be our circumstances or surroundings, whether in a hovel or a prison dungeon or at a martyr stake, we shall be enabled to say, the lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Psalm 16, 6. That is the language of faith. Let's bow in prayer. Father, this is an amazing topic. Amazing truths of your sovereignty. We really need your Holy Spirit to enlighten us on just how profound and life-changing and strengthening this truth is. I pray that in the group time and even subsequent days, as we dig into your word and we look for those verses on, on your sovereignty, that you will apply it to our hearts. You will bring faith. You will bring um, clarity and that you will come into greater focus, Lord, as we think about who you are and your sovereignty, your complete and total rule and reign over every single detail of our lives. Help us to glorify you, Lord, with our faith and with our responses to what you allow in your great sovereignty. You know best, Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for continuing to keep, teach us and that you promise that we will bring our honor and glory to you and your plan will not be thwarted in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.